Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 64. So I am more open about sharing my experiences because I feel like I am not ashamed about like my diagnosis and things like that. I definitely understand and relate to the anxieties that people have in opening up. And I think for everyone it's different, but I want to tell people that having mental health challenges, it's a human experience. Everyone gets depressed, anxious. So if they do have anxieties about sharing their stories, I would say it is scary to be so open and vulnerable with either like a close friend or family or even like a bunch of strangers. But at the end of the day, people will be able to relate because everyone goes through it at some point in their lives, either through grieving a family's loss or difficult situations in your life. I think everyone will go through at some point. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. Today, I have two guests, Juno and Nellie, and we are going to dig into their ADHD stories, but I also wanted to talk about a little bit about their community, the Asian community, because like our community, talking about mental health is kind of taboo. And I wanted just to get into their side of the story and talk about how people perceive mental health in their community, and then why are they out in the open talking about mental health? So I'm very excited to have them today. So hello, Juno and Nelly. Nice to see hello. you. <laughs> so excited to be here. I am so Thank excited to meet you too. So I want you guys to tell me a little bit about each of you. Like I said, this is just a casual conversation. So tell me a little bit about each of you. Let's start off with that. Okay, I can get started. So my name is Nelly, and me and Juno are co-hosts of Two Addies and a Coffee Please podcast. Um, some of my background is I am Chinese American and I was born and raised in New York City and now I work in tech. So all throughout my life, I didn't know about ADHD that I had it. And I also have anxiety. So that was kind of something that I recently figured out in early 20 with the diagnosis. And that's pretty much my background with mental health. Okay, and Juno? Awesome. Uh, yes, I am Korean American. I'm also in New York City and work in tech. Uh, I met Nellie in uh, very beginning of high school. <laughs> and we stayed in touch because of our uh, ADHD issues, I think, because we had this weird dynamic of sort of like high achieving, but also like these intense struggles behind the scenes. And she was the only person I could relate with and died in her beginning of last year. And yes, the podcast has been interesting. Actually, we started the podcast because our friends said our conversations were very interesting because we had some like very weird similarities that were not actually just Nelly or me, or it was like this common issue that is okay. real. And then we didn't actually think about like vulnerability and helping out the ADHD community, I think in the beginning until like way later when we started listening to our audience and stuff, but yes. <laughs> so you guys were just kind of sharing your stories and then realized once you got that feedback, was that what it, what it was? You got that feedback, you're like, wow, we're really helping people or how did it? click i think at first uh, we were doing actually like interviews with our friends because we wanted to learn about how we can be more productive because okay. we were both struggling with that <laughs> and then some people are so structured they have a plan for everything and i was like we are just chaotic and after our conversations we realized that this 
is something more than just like our gotcha. personality quirks. Um, and then once we started sharing this, we were kind of really hesitant because of the stigma and things. We actually didn't want, we actually chose podcasting <laughs> because we wouldn't show our faces, but yeah. now we're like really uh, accepting to it and open to sharing our stories. But hearing people's DMs or like their stories with being Asian and having mental health issues and challenges that really resonated with us because we were like, this wasn't ever taught or shared in our community yeah. previously and being open with it was difficult. But now we see that our experiences does help other people to be more open and sharing too. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. So we're going to dig into all of that. But first of all, I want to talk about why did you guys even decide to go after the ADHD diagnosis? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Juno, you can start or whoever. <laughs> uh, I think I forgot what we were talking about, but well, I, I know your brother got diagnosed first. So I was uh, like, you know, you do that same shit. Like you definitely have it. And then you were like, no, you do it too. So I think you, <laughs> you really got diagnosed first. Yeah, I feel like that, my memory is a little bit like messed up with this. But for some reason, I don't remember taking that seriously in the beginning because I remember coming across an article about like high functioning ADHD. And I was just like so shocked because I was like, oh my God, Nelly, this is like literally spelling out our personalities and behavior. Like I didn't know we were so unspecial. <laughs> but yeah, that's the reason I went in the first place. And then I ended up getting other diagnoses, uh, bipolar disorder and her with anxiety. And I think that started like the intense file and discovery of ADHD. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. And for you, Nelly? Uh, for me, it was mostly, I already knew that I had trouble um, concentrating and focusing. So actually when I was 17, I told my primary care doctor that, Hey, I have really hard time focusing and concentrating in class. I can't get things done. And she asked me like, Oh, what are your grades? And I'm like, Oh, they're fine. They're pretty good. And they're, then she was like, maybe you're just under stress. So I looked at my medical records and it said ADHD question mark. And oh. so she actually told me to go to another specialist to get diagnosed. But then I went off to college. So I never really got that mm-hmm. diagnosis and I struggled a lot in college. And I never realized that it was anything related to ADHD, but I was like, I'm sitting in class and I can't concentrate, but everyone else is taking notes. So I kind of just dismissed that. So it really, was really isolating to be in college without any support or accommodations. And after I graduated, I ended up working full-time in an office setting and it's an open space plan. And Mm. it's so distracting because I was sitting next to the men's bathroom and the kitchen (gasps) and it was so terrible. I couldn't focus on anything. And I realized that for me, I have to walk around every hour or so or like 30 minutes get snacks or coffee and just move around this office. And I noticed that um, my coworkers didn't need to do that. And I mm-hmm. had people ke- keep coming up to me and telling me like, oh, no, I just saw you on the third floor. And now you're on the second floor, <laughs> like the seventh floor. And so I started Googling a lot more like maybe this is ADHD and this is something like that's not just a personality quirk because everyone else can sit in a chair for eight hours. So after Juno's diagnosis and it was confirmed, I was like, oh, my God, it's my time. I have to like get this diagnosis to feel like. I'm going to live up to my potential because for the longest time, I just felt so miserable and depressed mm-hmm. because I feel like I was missing something. Um, yeah. So once I got that diagnosis, it clicked um, into place for me with all of the symptoms I had. Oh, and you know what, what really clicked for me, what, what you just said is, so when I started at my new job, they put me in a cube and I was right next to two offices. And all I could think about is, and, and they had planned to put 
uh, human resources there. And you know what that means, right? Everybody and their mother is going to be coming back and forth in that office or those two offices. And I said, oh my God, I'm going to have to move. Well, it ended up that they decided to use those rooms for something else. And I'm like, okay, cool. Then COVID happened and we were able to work from home. And then just recently they started having us work back into the office. And of course they decided now to put HR people there. So I have traffic. It's just loud. And sorry if you guys are listening to this, but it is just, it's loud. And it is just, sometimes it's obnoxious. And I'm just like, oh my God, can you know it just be a little bit quieter? I mean, it's insane. And that's because I get distracted so easily. I've been trying to put some music in, you know, just to block some of it out, try to do some white noise, something, and it's just not working. So every once in a while, I'm like, okay, boss, can I just work from home today? <laughs> Cause I just get much, a lot more done. So yeah, I definitely get you. So what were you guys actually diagnosed with? What types? I think we both have a combination ADHD. And then I also have anxiety because I feel like it's because of the ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They talk about that a lot is that since especially those who have been undiagnosed for so long that the anxiety piece and that depression piece really amplifies right I mean Mm -hmm. is that what you guys have Mm -hmm. heard too yeah yeah that's crazy so um so tell me you told me a little bit about the symptoms but what other things that you did you see being undiagnosed I mean you told me about not being able to sit still and being distracted I mean what were some of those tipping points you're like okay something is up um I think it's kind of like two stages, like one in school. And then like when I started working, I think in school, well, like as a kid, I was always in the timeout chair because I was moving around and talking a lot, but because I was a woman and a person of color, they were like, can't be ADHD is for like white men. <laughs> so I was never actually diagnosed. I was just like the bratty kid in the back. Yeah. Um, and I think like in high school, I remember when I was in, t- it was like my senior year, I got banned from eating carrots in class because I would use it to snap it off and like it annoyed the teacher. And I was yelled at every single day because I would talk so much and I actually had to be put in front of the class. And there were freshmen in the class more well-behaved than I was. And I was like, oh, wow, what the heck? But now figuring this out, I was like, oh, I talk a lot. I move around a lot. I interrupt people. And then at work, because I have so many meetings, I can't focus for like one hour long meetings. And it's really like terrible to just be in one place. And I notice I fidget a lot. And the worst thing is I procrastinate to the last minute. And that was a problem because I have to work with the team now. So I think um, that was some of the challenges that I have to kind of adapt to once I started working full-time instead of like being a student. Okay. All right. And Juno, you, what, what did you see? What were some of those tipping points? Uh, similar issues with like extreme procrastination and also constantly being told that I talk too fast and not being able to follow what I'm saying. Uh, also being like extremely impulsive and not realizing the danger of, and risks of what I'm doing. And that would make a lot of people around me anxious and also like knocking into things. Sometimes I'm going to the grocery store or the subway. And it, if I was with like one other person, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what happens. I just like turn off my awareness of my surroundings, I accidentally like bump into people and things. It's just like, I get in my own head and stuff, but I always denied that these were any issues though, because I think if I was aware that I might be doing these things, I could like sort of immediately turn this all off. If I was like hyper aware of conscious of what people were thinking, but I always knew there was like this weird part of me that always had to be like on guard. And if I was on guard, everyone thought I was competent and organized and whatever. But then if I like 
did not pay attention, then suddenly I was like the extreme opposite. So that always really confused me. Um, looking back, it was just like a constant masking uh, mechanism. But I think at the time, because of that ability, I was always denying that I had any issues. Um, and also when I procrastinated an extreme amount, I thought it was always a choice and I was just lazy or bored. Uh, that was definitely not the case, especially now that I tried Adderall and certain things. And when I actually sit down to work, I can see that I get distracted and my working memory is like sometimes shot. But I think back then I was just so avoidant and I would be gone until like, like the last day where I really hyper-focused. So yeah, I just, I just did not consider that to be ADHD. Because you didn't know, right? I mean, we don't, especially if you weren't educated about ADHD, like me, I wasn't growing up. You don't know what those symptoms are. You're just like, okay, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. And actually I found out recently that when I was five, my doctor told my parents that I had ADHD and they were like, she's way too hyper. Like that is too hyper for this age. And she was like running around the doctor's office and stuff. But my dad, my dad got so mad. He's like, what are you talking about? Juno's like the smartest kid ever. Like, what the hell? And they left. And they're like, oh my gosh, she wants my meds. What? <laughs> and then I, and my mom like just was like, oh yeah, of course not. And yeah, then I come back. <laughs> like, guess what, mom? We all have ADHD. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. So tell me, what were some of those impulsive things that you did? Some of those, you know, like, there were some of those dangerous things that you, <laughs> like, you know, I remember my parents talking about like my dad, um, he'll probably kill me for saying this, but you know, when he was a boy wanting to jump off of the roof of the, you know, pretending like oh, wow. he was Superman, you know, like, oh you know, God. things like that. <laughs> Wait, I was literally talking about this yesterday with my cousins, but it was so dumb. I feel like <laughs> my brother also has ADHD. My mom also has ADHD. I don't know what happens to my cousins, but they're also a little bit weird, but younger we would always have these like competitions on who can jump off the farthest from like uh the, the these it was concrete i don't know what the hell we were doing and we have these jump off these stairs or whatever and i always had a bunch of bruises on my legs and my mom was like annoyed <laughs> of like me having all this stuff and i couldn't wear dresses and skirts and stuff because i always looked so like messed up on the bottom and it continued in like in when i used to live in denver with my ex-boyfriend but yeah i think a lot of the impulsivity things are either because I'm bored and I want like a quick like rush of something or I just see something like really like interesting like oh if I'm hiking or something I'm like oh those rocks are like off the trail I'm like, oh my god there's a cool view like oh wow those people are getting scared if I go up here let's go more but I think like that excitement <laughs> is like ah it's me but yeah I, and I was I think the weird thing was that I didn't know why people did not want to do those things so maybe you want to do it more but yeah <laughs> That is too funny. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I get those still even today. I'm I'm 46. And every once in a while, I'll have those impulsive moments. Like, you know, a few years ago, I think it was a few years ago, I decided, you know, I want to go try jumping out of a plane, you know, oh, it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Don't get me wrong, but I will never That's do so it funny. again. <laughs> like, ever. I'm scared to death of heights. But it was the coolest, coolest thing for that moment. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> was that like an impulse decision or did you like plan it beforehand? No, that one's completely impulse. I do plan certain things, but that wasn't <laughs> one of them. <laughs> I literally That's just, funny. and okay. Okay. Let me, let me just tell you this. So I decided to go that day. I just went up there and I called ahead of time, said, do you guys have any space? It said, yes. I went up there and then it started to get cloudy and it looked like it was going to rain. So they oh, had man. to reschedule me. So that part I can say is kind of like planning because then I had to think about it, right? <laughs> it's like, am I going to go back? This is a good idea. <laughs> like, am I? And I'm like, no, no, now I'm committed to it. So I'm going to go back. And yeah, I'm glad I did it. It was so much cool. fun. 
it was so much fun. It was scary and just fun all at the same time. So, yeah. That sounds very exciting. It was. It was really cool. All right. So what do you think you guys have done differently since you had your di- or had your diagnosis? Like what strategies did you put in place? I feel like I had stages of development. I think in the beginning when I first got diagnosed with ADHD, well, obviously I also knew I had bipolar disorder and depression, which I denied at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not see any of those issues as problems. I thought I could do, like, I was fine. I dealt with everything already. And I specifically went to therapy because of like emotional detachment issues. But I think my problem was that for, I think for the first year, like for many months, I was only trying to treat that in therapy. And for ADHD stuff, I just wanted to use meds. And I don't think I was doing things properly, but Mm. because I wasn't treating all of these like core morbidities and other emotional issues or relationship issues that I had, I couldn't actually treat any of my ADHD issues because I couldn't isolate any of them. They were all like, so going up and down, I couldn't see like the effects of any of the treatments I was doing. So I think the thing I did differently was taking paying attention to my overall mental health a lot more seriously and making sure I was in a calm, relaxed, like space. Cause I think I thought self-care was so stupid before. And I, I think even yeah. when we started our podcast, we say all this shit, but we are such hypocrites. I think we just oh, yeah. we totally were like denying our own mental health and self-care for the longest time. And I think only like very, 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 very recently we were like, Oh shit, self-care. Oh my God. We love ourselves. <laughs> supposed to love ourselves. Like I'm going to do this because I need time to like, I don't know, be happy. And we thought that was so dumb before. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a very like drawn yeah. out struggle to prioritize ourselves. <laughs> um, yeah. That's too funny. What about you, Nelly? I think for me, the biggest thing with the diagnosis is accepting the challenges that I have because previously I would beat myself up every time I didn't meet a deadline or I would procrastinate like, oh, damn it, like, no, you always do this. Um, and I've been told that you have so much potential if only you put it to you. So you're so lazy. But then after the diagnosis, I'm like, oh, it's not laziness. I do have real challenges and it's accepting the limitations that I have and restructuring my day to really help me reach my potential. Um, I think the second thing that really helped me was um, going to therapy. It's so expensive. So like (laughs) last, last year when I like I, I didn't do that much research because I was like, I just need someone. So I just went on psychology today. I found the first person and I booked it, but it was out of network. So it literally cost me hundreds of dollars for literally 45 minutes. And after four sessions, I was like, I don't need this. I can do it myself. <laughs> so I started doing more research and I realized that I can't do it by myself. Um, so I actually found a therapist that really understands like the comorbidities of like anxiety and ADHD because I feel like they go hand in hand. And if it gets bad enough, I do get depressed. And I feel like I also deny that for a really long time. Like I'm not that sad. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty bad. And I think having all of those problems just like laid out and addressing yeah. it and working with someone through it really did help me. And then I think another Thing that really uh, I took more notice in is like sleeping. So I used to pull all nighters to do like a bunch of work, and I realized now I need eight hours of sleep. I need to take my medication on a daily basis, and I need to be more mindful. Um, I know there was I also had like a lot of stigma towards medication. So even though I was prescribed Adderall and um, Lexapro for anxiety, I didn't take it for until like last year, um, like late last year when everything was like kind of shit was hitting the fan um and I only recently started taking Lexapro a month ago and I can say now I've never been 
happier in my life. And this is like the first time I felt peaceful contentment. I love that. I absolutely love that. So there's a couple of things I want to touch. So the comorbidity piece, I'm just curious from both of you, what did whoever you were working with, what did they suggest in terms of what you should work with first? And the reason why I'm asking that, so I talked with the doctor and they say that sometimes they work with the bipolar piece first and then the ADHD or vice versa, depending on what's standing out the most. Like my therapist I had to work with my anxiety and depression first before we started to work with the ADHD. So what did they suggest for you guys? Just curious. I was, uh, I think by multiple psychiatrists and therapists, a lot of times they told me like, you have to treat your depression first and your bipolar disorder. We always recommend that. And I think the doctors would say that. And then the therapist would say like a long, more winded out thing about like my prioritizing my mental health. But I think I kept rejecting that. Cause I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm fine. I have this like issue with procrastination that's killing me and it's stressful, but yeah, just help me solve this specific thing. And I kept trying to bring it back to that and they wouldn't, and I'll get pissed, <laughs> but like looking back, yeah, I was definitely going the most inefficient route because yeah. the, no matter how much like Adderall I tried or like all these ADHD strategies, I would end up, they would just end up like crumbling uh, because of emotional issues or like other things that were stressing me out. And I would attribute everything to ADHD. So yeah, it was just like a really bad cycle. So I definitely think that prioritizing bipolar disorder, any emotional issues was priority for me. Okay. What about you, Nelly? Um, I think similar to Juno's experience, I kind of pushed the emotional aspect of my struggles aside. And I was like, I need to fix my ADHD so I can be productive, so I can do work. Um, so my first therapist, she gave me a bunch of tips on like structuring my day and planning, but those never really stuck. And I was just like, I'm wasting so much money on this. So I didn't go back. And then the therapists that I'm seeing now were addressing more like my anxiety and depression issues and working alongside that to see how ADHD fits in. So it's kind of more anxiety and ADHD versus just focusing on the ADHD portion. Okay. All right. And I did really notice a difference. So when we started to focus on the anxiety and depression piece, I don't know how to say this, but it, it was almost like once those areas started to calm down, my ADHD started to, I don't want to say calm. I mean, still happened, but it just <laughs> wasn't amplified. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So yeah, for yeah. me and everybody's different, but for me, I really did notice that my symptoms, like you said, I having to decide whether I take medication or not, because I also mm -hmm. grew up that way where medication was like the last resort. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of multivitamins, um, you know, exercise, self-care, and medication was the last resort. So for me, it was like, do I take this medication or not? But once I took it, the other things subsided. Like mm. it, I just was able to focus on my ADHD symptoms that much more. So it's made a huge difference in my life also. So I, I definitely can relate. Oh, that is absolutely what happened to me. I think the very first time I, at least according to my therapist, I expressed any sort of hope that I could... <laughs> solve my ADHD issues was a little bit after I started taking meds for bipolar disorder or like depression, I think, Wellbutrin. Um, and suddenly, I don't know, everything was just more chill. And it wasn't that huge of a deal for me to sit in front of my computer and work on things. Yeah. I didn't realize how much of that was emotional. Well, I didn't know that impulsivity was an emotional thing. It, it very much is. So I think if you heal a lot of the, I guess, like 
anxieties or worries or stress, like emotional related, you're just a lot less likely to be overwhelmed by work, mm. um, which is, I think the biggest thing for me. <laughs> mm. I love that. I love that. So I wanted to jump into um, just the, the view from the Asian community. So why do you think culturally mental health is not discussed? I think like from my background growing up a uh, Chinese American, my parents um, are more traditional. They never really learned about mental health in China. So my dad was actually a doctor in China. And for him, everything is more like physical body science, like mm-hmm. things like that. Um, whereas I feel like now my sister is in the mental health um industry and she works with a lot of kids who are struggling and also parents um, with kids who have like ADHD, depression, anxiety. And through her work, I feel like they've become more accepting to the notion of therapy as a form of healing different traumas or seeing how trauma affects people and their behaviors. Um, So I think that my perspective of it has definitely changed. But growing up, they never really discussed the generational trauma that they faced or like being sad or feelings. I think even when I was growing up, they don't talk a lot about like feelings. So I never (laughs) was told like, oh, I love you. It's not just like a uh, mental health thing, but they don't talk about emotions at all either. Um, So I think when I went back to China, like in 2020, I was like there for five months. Um, I actually took my medication uh, for Adderall or, you know, ADHD. So I took Adderall to China and I realized that it's banned in China. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So like, I was wondering, like, what if I was born in China and like, I couldn't take this medication? How would I do work and like everything? But then the other thing that scared me was, thank God they didn't check my bags because of COVID. (laughs) Because I don't know what would have happened. But that was just so scary. That was illegal. Like I could have been arrested for even having this medication that helps me work. Um, So I feel like they don't consider ADHD or things like that, even an issue to in the first place. And I remember um, because I was in China, because my grandpa passed away, my aunt had depression with psychosis and my uncle tried to take her to see a therapist in China. And it's always talked about in a hush hush manner that this isn't really legit. And it's this stigma of like, I'm not crazy. I don't need to see this person. But I think in Western culture, it's kind of seen as like, like, I guess, like, it still has stigma, but there are some movies that popularize it, like, oh, I need to call my therapist, and, like, and everyone has a therapist type of mentality, so it's those differences that makes it hard when you have that Chinese and American background. Makes sense. I definitely agree with the I'm not crazy thing. That's definitely something I hear. Um, I go to my family a lot. When my dad, oh, my dad also had bipolar disorder, very obviously, like, looking back. Um, and my mom has ADHD, my grandma has ADHD, but like nobody wants to say that they need meds or nobody wants to say that they need therapy or is struggling with anything. That's a big deal because I think there's like a, a long, like a big cloud of shame around feeling not okay or not being able to deal with just like life. And I think it's a very, very difficult thing for them to, at least like my family to say that they need help with anything. So I think like when I was growing up, I just immediately assumed that any issues that I had or things that I complained about were like me being like a whiny baby or something. So, and like, I think even when I discovered my diagnoses and stuff, it was a real struggle for me to communicate that with my family because they would immediately dismiss everything saying they have those issues too, but they actually do have those issues. I found they have ADHD. (laughs) 
but they also got in trouble for it all the time, but they had no idea why. And I think my mom was like, I don't know, she's discovering that she has ADHD in her fifties. And she's like, oh, wow. This sort of made like so much sense, like helped me so much. And especially my uncle, like I think he got low key abused a little bit because of ADHD, because everyone just thought you're being super lazy. And I think what Nelly was saying before, like, you know, you have so much potential, um, but you're not doing anything. I think like, especially when I feel like Asian parents see that, like, you're smart. They can see that you're smart. Why the hell aren't you doing shit? Like mm-hmm. it's so angry and oh, yeah. that you're just such a horrible, like undisciplined, like bad person. And I feel like hearing that growing up is so horrible for your self-esteem because you're constantly being told like you are such a horrible person for not doing something that you don't know how to do. So yeah, I think that's a definitely a difficult thing um, in my family. <laughs> So how do they feel about you guys talking about this and being open about this? I mean, what kind of conversations do you guys have with the family? Uh-huh. Oh, funny. Um, my parents <laughs> don't actually know that I have a podcast talking about mental health. So I think they just know that, oh, Nelly does a podcast and Nelly talks a lot, but they don't know it's about mental health. Oh, that's too funny. So what do you think they would say if they heard it? What do you think? Oh, I feel like they would be so shocked. They're like, so I suggested we do group um, family therapy to my sister and like, cause she had, I was like, your health insurance covers it. Mine doesn't like, can we do family therapy? And she was like, yeah, no, daddy and mommy doesn't want to do that. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and they're like, they don't want other outsiders to know about like family stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, they'll be surprised about the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <Yeah. laughs> That's too funny. I think. Yeah, my mom feels similarly. I think when I have certain issues, she would be like, oh, don't tell, don't tell your aunt and uncle. Like, oh, don't tell these people. She actually does know that I have a podcast now and she did listen to it, but I feel like we talk too fast. So she doesn't necessarily know what we're talking about all the time, but she's like, why do you swear so much? Don't swear as much. (laughs) She's like, can you explain what this means? I'm like, oh, sure. Let me tell you a little bit toned down version. (laughs) So funny. That is so funny. So she really, since she doesn't, hear the mental health piece of it. I mean, what do you think she would say if she really understood what you guys were discussing or does she understand just not what you're talking about at that moment? I moved back home a little bit before COVID started. And I think since I've gotten diagnosed, I've been like feeding my mom bits about mental health every other day. So I feel like now she's really understanding and she just wants to support me. I don't know exactly what she would feel. I know she would still be supportive, but I definitely think that she would be a little bit like iffy and worried and concerned or maybe a little bit embarrassed. Maybe she'll be happy that it's in English. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, okay, I feel like my mom is like that with me, but I didn't actually found out, like know that when she was with other family members and I was gone, she was always defending me, which Mm. I would like never expect. Like one thing that we were talking about that always got me really angry is that whenever I wanted to do something for my mental health, she would always criticize it saying that was so unnecessary or why do you waste time doing that? But then, and I was so mad at that. But when I was gone and I heard what my cousins were saying, like my mom was yelling at my aunt, uncle, like why, like why, she has to do this or she'll be depressed. Like, what do you think she, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow. And I feel like that's um, the case for a lot that's of awesome. like affection and mental health stuff. <laughs> like she won't ever tell me like super affectionate things necessarily, but she'll tell other people and then they would tell me. And I'm like, oh, my mom loves me a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. I mean, so so you know in your heart that she, well, you don't even know in your heart, you know for a fact that she is sticking up for you and she has your mm-hmm. back, really. Yes. Right? Yeah. That, that's that's really, really cool. <laughs> 
So have people wanted you? So the people that have heard you, is there anyone that wanted you to keep quiet? Um, and if not, if every, anybody does bring that up, what would you say to them? I think no one has ever told me to like keep quiet about certain things, but I think some of the anxieties that I do have is around like people from work finding out that I have mm-hmm. mental health um, challenges or obstacles. And I think that's in part because of the stigma that, oh, I can't get work done or like a procrastinate or I guess if you have executive dysfunction and then you can't execute, I don't want that to be something that holds me back in my career. But I actually told my manager, well, I am starting a new job. I told my previous manager, I was like, would you have wanted to know this earlier? Would that have helped better manage me? And he was like, yes, definitely. So I am more open about sharing my experiences because I feel like I am not ashamed about like my diagnosis and things like that. I definitely understand and relate to the anxieties that people have in opening up. And I think for everyone it's different, but I want to tell people that having mental health challenges, it's a human experience. Everyone gets depressed, anxious. So if they do have anxieties about sharing their stories, I would say it is scary to be so open and vulnerable with either like a close friend or family or even like a bunch of strangers. But at the end of the day, people will be able to relate because everyone goes through it at some point in their lives, either through grieving a family's loss or difficult situations in your life. I think everyone will go through at some point. Yeah, I agree with that. And then what about just, you know, within your community, if anybody wanted you to stop, what would you even say Mm -hmm. to them? Something similar? If they wanted to share this story? Yeah, in the Asian community, because in the Asian community, as you were saying, it's about just keeping things in, right? We don't share our business outside of our family, even if we pay for, you know, even though we know that this person's going to keep it a secret (laughs) because we're paying them, we don't share that information. So what would you say to, to them? Oh my God, I would say everyone needs to say something and like just speak up and share every story because I feel like when I went to China and heard like my grandparents telling me story, I'm like, oh my God, that's trauma. You need to go to therapy. And I hear my friends' stories. I'm like, oh my God, you need therapy too. I'm like, everyone else needs therapy so that I can exist in peace. Because <laughs> then like their vibes affect me. So I'm like, y'all right. need therapy. <laughs> I love that. What about you, Gina? That's funny. <laughs> I feel like it is definitely like a tricky thing to navigate I know sometimes because people always say like oh if you open up then other people will also open up that's a hit or miss for me <laughs> sometimes they open up and depending on who I'm talking to they it like reinforces what they were already thinking and then they stop listening mm. um so I have to like be careful I have to, like see I have to like test the waters like how much like do you agree and disagree with these things and then slowly ease into it but I think even if they end up react like harshly in the beginning if i keep bringing it up and they have like some respect for me it'll like they'll open up eventually i just i think it just takes time for it to be like normalized within the asian american community and if they see enough people with it they'll be more chill i feel like after i've gotten a little less like freaked out by telling people i discovered a lot of people i know have adhd yeah um, and or like their relative or girlfriend or boyfriend have ADHD and I was like holy shit everyone has ADHD or everyone knows someone with ADHD <laughs> <laughs> or they don't or they have it and they don't know that they have ADHD and I in the conversation I feel like I can like low-key diagnose people now I'm like oh yep yeah <laughs> someone and they're like ah I don't know and then a few months later oh yeah maybe I'm like yep <laughs> that is awesome <laughs> 
<laughs> that is too funny. So let's talk about the opposite side. So there's people like you who want to step out, you know, whether they just want to, you know, be an advocate or do a podcast or get on YouTube and start really having conversations within your community. What would you say to them to give them encouragement? I would say just go and do it and don't be afraid. Even if you don't post it anywhere, recording something or just writing it down somewhere, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the first step because I feel like when we were doing it, we're both so nervous about sharing our stories and like, we didn't really think about like the execution part or anything. We're just like, just go and do it. And then we just jumped in. And then after we figured everything out and launched, we just like kind of shut down. We're like, okay, whatever. And like step away from it. So I think (laughs) That was helpful because thinking about the logistics and the content kind of separates you from like, oh, I'm like telling people everything. Um, So I think that kind of mentality really helped in sharing that. And then we, through telling our stories on our podcast, I feel like it was a form of therapy for us Mm -hmm. in terms of healing and accepting um, our diagnoses and being more open. So I do feel like storytelling is a way of coping with everything and the challenges of life. I also think it's really helpful to be around people who also support you because especially while you're creating the content. So if I was with, like, since I was with Nelly creating this whole thing, it's become super normal and we're laughing and everything is like chill. I feel like even if there were two other people who are super negative in the same room all the time, like you could start doubting yourself. You'd be like questioning whatever. And I think a big reason I also felt happy doing this was like the ADHD interviews we were doing on the side for research were so motivating because they were all like super supportive and super excited about stuff. So I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. Like fuck the other people. There's all these huge, like there's this huge population of people who are going like unnoticed who would really love this content. So just staying within that bubble for a little bit and exposing like a little bit at a time is awesome. I don't think we were just like, let's expose everything in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that also helped. I think a common issue I heard from people with ADHD is like a concern of like oversharing. And I think it's like this switch that I used to think I had. It's like, I tell you everything or I tell you nothing. But every time I told you everything, like I just had, I had zero boundaries. I was like, anything is on the table. And that was the reason it was so difficult for me to like even like move that switch. But now that I realize, okay, first of all, it's not good to tell people every single thing without like thinking about it or intentions. But um, now that I know that I can make a huge difference, just telling like this specific part or this specific part, it's like a lot less scary. And one thing my therapist told me was like that feeling of crisis and you having to survive before every deadline is only that like scary because everything is in like secrecy in the dark and you're not telling anyone, nobody knows what's going on. And the entire time you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Like this is not the way I'm supposed to be existing right now. And nobody right. knows. And I'm going to be found out. And even if just like one person knows what's going on, it just makes everything feel like safer. Yeah. Um, and you realize like, oh shit, this is a problem. We can solve the problem. This is not me. It's a, it's a struggle that we can figure out together. I think, yeah, just telling one person like helps like externalize that a little bit. I love that. So, do you know, I mean, so for me, well, there's two things. My my mom was very open about mental health, right? Mm-hmm. So I was very blessed to have a mom like that. But when I started putting this information out there, I didn't realize that I was going to be one of very few Blacks that were talking mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just been a very interesting ride to see their very few faces. Even when I go to ask people to interview, there's just not many of us 
talking about mm-hmm. it or even willing to talk about it. They still want to keep it closed yes. up. You know what I mean? They don't want to show their face as you're, as you mentioned. And so um, mm-hmm. I wanted to say, okay, I want to be that person that steps out. You know, I want to be one of those few that is going to be open. Now to your point, I take my time in terms of how much I open. Like in the last year, I think I've opened more and more and more about my situation, about what's going on with the children, because people need to know, they need to know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They need to know that there is a whole community. I mean, in the U.S. alone, I didn't even realize in the U.S. alone, there is 11% of children that are diagnosed with ADHD. That doesn't include the adults, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't include the globe, right? So there are so many people diagnosed with it and they're hiding it. And this, and this obviously doesn't even include those who are not diagnosed, right? (laughs) So there's a lot of people that really need people like us that will stand and talk about this. And so they know that, so to your point, we will be normalizing it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I just, I love what you guys are doing. So, so definitely. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) And then I guess like also adding on to what you're talking about, how there aren't that many people like us, like people of color and also women with ADHD talking about this. I think that was one of the biggest inspirations for us to share our stories as well, because I think when I was doing my research and trying to find someone who has like the intersectionality of the issues that I had, I was like, where are they? (laughs) The stories (laughs) are not the same as mine. So if I hear like white men talk about their issues with ADHD, that's not the same as someone like me. Exactly. And I couldn't find that anywhere. So I really love like what you're doing and sharing your stories. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and and you just brought up a good point, Nellie. So that 11%, it's mostly white men. (laughs) So that's a whole nother thing, right? Because a lot of girls are being missed. And to your point, a lot of people of color are being missed. So yeah, it's- I had a coworker tell me, I didn't know like you could get ADHD because I only heard about white men. And I was like, what? Someone said that to you? Yeah. I was like confused. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny. (laughs) But it's so true, right? That's Uh that's the reality. As Juno, you were saying, so we think about all the research and you know, all the tips and tricks. A lot of that is based on (laughs) the research of that the white men. So we always have, that's why I I try to interview as many people as possible because I want to share what works for them, not necessarily what, you know, was on Google, (laughs) right? I want everybody to share some of their tips and tricks and what has worked for them over the years. And because again, it may not work for everybody, especially if a lot of it was based on a certain population and a certain color. So anyways, right. Yeah. That love that. All right. So just to close it up, is there any last things that you would like to share? Anything that we may have missed? Um, any last tips, any last thoughts that you would like to share to the audience? And also That's keep in mind, I'm sorry, Juno. So also keep in mind, so a lot of my audience is parents. So if there's anything that you would like to say to parents about how, you know, what you think in terms of um, being open about ADHD or what, whatever you want to share. So, you know, any last minute thoughts? I think I would like to tell the parents that even if your kid has ADHD, that's not a limitation into what they can accomplish in their life. Um, It's just, you have to do things a little differently. Um, So I grew up without knowing that I had ADHD. So I just thought the world was my oyster and I could do all these things. Um, But I do kind of think about if I had been diagnosed earlier, whether I would have led like this diagnosis be like, oh, this is why I can't do X, Y, Z, or would have had 
have been like, oh, now I have like the medication and resources to help me do even more. So I feel like it could have gone either way, but I feel like I would love to tell the parents that this isn't like a bad diagnosis or a good diagnosis. It is what it is. Um, It's just that we have to do things not the neurotypical way and to always support your kid in like whatever they need help in. I think, yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. I think that was also a concern that I had when I thought about like, if I was diagnosed early on, if I want to diagnose like other kids, it was a struggle with my mom too. I want people to know that having ADHD is something I'm sort of proud of. (laughs) And I don't know if I would change it. A big realization that I had recently was even after telling someone I had ADHD, I can still be taken seriously. I can still talk about these struggles in a very like, I don't know, dignified way. I don't know why I always thought that like when the mask comes off, haha, I'm like the silly goose now. That's not the case. I could talk about it in a very like calm, respectable manner. I don't know why that was such a weird concept to me. I just thought it was like my, I have my dignity or I don't. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think like looking at uh, what you were saying, um, you need other people like you to see that you're not alone. I feel like And I remember you were saying earlier that it was weird that people told you you were articulate and it was surprising. And like, what the hell are you talking about? And also right now, when I hear other people's impression of me, it's just like such the opposite of executive dysfunction. Like I feel like they're complimenting me on like execution. I'm like, holy shit, I cannot tell you I have ADHD, what? (laughs) But I think if more people knew that, hey, this person can be someone with ADHD, Mm -hmm. it would be less scary to do those things. Yeah, I, I definitely think maybe don't like say from the get go in the very beginning, hi, I have ADHD and blah, blah, blah. Like, that, that's not your like, identity. I feel like in the beginning, I just associate my identity so much. Um, but you are so much more than just your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have all of these like amazing, beautiful things about yourself. And it could be in the execution area and focus, like hyper focus. That's just amazing. That's like a superpower. So, yeah, I think just remembering that you have so much potential. There's so much like famous, successful, awesome people out there with mm-hmm. ADHD who are crushing it. You might have to like Google a little bit more because it's not- Michael like- Phelps has ADHD and Simone Biles. Emma Watson too. <laughs> oh, there's a lot. People don't realize it. But I like the fact that people are opening up more and more because that's another thing. Even people who are out in the forefronts, like actors and dancers and gymnasts, they were very closed about their ADHD. So more and more, we're seeing Mm -hmm. people even in front Mm -hmm. of us on television sharing the fact that they are dealing with their own mental health situation. So that's that's really cool, too. Yeah. I love that. All right. So is there anything that has helped you through your journey in terms of any type of resources, be it books, um, podcasts, YouTube channels, anything that you can share with the audience? Uh, I recently found this book that I found super, super helpful. It's written by this doctor who specializes in ADHD. It's called Taking Charge of Adult ADHD um, and teaches you a lot of different strategies and also explains the ADHD part, how to get diagnosed and everything. And another thing that helped me was how to ADHD YouTube channel. So I found that through like a TikTok video. And then I started watching more YouTube um, from her, this person. And I think that was really, really helpful. And she explains a lot of tactics to go about organizing your day or like not being late and things like that. So I think that's helpful. Yes, I love that one. I absolutely agree with that. I don't know if this is way too specific of a thing, but it's so uh, important me in my work but i think the biggest issue i have is always related to timelines um, and procrastination and like losing track of time and i think 
that has made a very huge difference in my ability to work. I need like some kind of visual representation of time, whether it's like a visual timer or like a calendar on the side. If I don't have that, it's so difficult for me to keep track of things. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's so many strategies out there, but like if I had to only choose one, like I need I need a visual representation of time. <laughs> Yeah. And and so to your point, for me, I need alarms. So like for this meeting, I have, you know, I had my alarm set on my phone and then I have my alarm or the calendar popping up to remind me because I do. I, I just I have so much in my brain and there's so much going on around me. I'll forget something. I'll, I forget things that are extremely important. Doctor's appointments, you know, like. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I, but I feel like even with reminders, I think one issue that I had is that since I'm like expecting that reminder to go off, I can't, I like freeze and I can't do anything. And (laughs) because I don't know when it's like, Oh, in 40 minutes, I have to go outside, but I don't know when that's going to happen. And I'm like, Oh, is that going to be in five minutes in 10 minutes? So I keep looking at the clock and I can't do anything and I don't feel calm. So if I have like this timer and there's like this color and it's slowly disappearing and I could just keep glancing at it to know, like have some context where I'm at that just like, it's like a game changer for me. Like I can breathe and I'm like, ah, I have time to do this. Oh, this is the and like the more I use it, the more I have like some intuition about what this like area of color means in terms of how much time I have and what actions I can do. So mm-hmm. I think it's also like training myself to be a little bit more aware. Yeah. <laughs> so is it just a, is, is it something like you can buy on Amazon? Oh. So it's just, yeah, show it. Yeah, if you have Yes, it. It, it's like a little. <laughs> a little bit closer. I just typed in, yeah, I just typed in like visual timer on Amazon. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just a 60 minute timer and you twist the knob in the middle and yeah. it has like this colored area. And if you, and it like beeps. Love that. Okay. That's good. Okay. <laughs> I like that. When you mentioned a bunch of alarms, my alarm actually went off in the middle. So I like turn it off. And then I also have like a smartwatch where it like buzzes and like reminds me of different things throughout the day. So I have like 10,000 alarms throughout the day, but then sometimes I forget what the alarms are supposed to remind me of. So I think it's helpful to add it into the details because I remember there are times where I am in a Google Meet, I have it opened. I just didn't click the join button because I (laughs) thought it was already happening, but I feel like I need to have everything to remind me for something. So that was really helpful. Yeah, that is helpful. And see, that's why I talk, that's why I talk to different people because you guys all do different things. So that's really, really cool. So if people have any questions for you, can you tell people how to get a hold of you and then also mention your podcast name again? Sounds good. Um, they can reach us at two Addies and a coffee, please podcast on Instagram. We're at two Addies, T W O A D D Y S. And we also have a website called two Addies.com and you can reach us at Gmail at two Addies at gmail.com. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. That was so fantastic, Juno and Nelly. We're going to have to do something like this again, something different questions, but this was so, so good. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with us. And you're super awesome. Oh, so happy to (laughs) find you. (laughs) I'm so excited about what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. It's a lot of work. It's It's so fun. It is. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you guys feel this, you know, there's waking up for work. And and I always tell people I am so glad to have my job because just of what's mm-hmm. going on in the world. So I don't ever say anything negative, but there is when I do this and I'm just like excited, like 
I'm excited when I, I was excited about, you know, talking to you guys and getting into your stories and then I'll be excited about editing it. And, you know, I just, I'm excited about the conversations and getting it out there. And people, like you said, they get to your, Mm -hmm. they send you DMs and you're like, I relate. I mean, just, I'm just excited about all of this. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review and join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.